Globe Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Fan Zone Debate. We're back after the uh, explosive title match, uh, Kirk versus Rue. Uh, you just saw that a couple weeks ago, and now we're back for Bar Richard. It's going to be interesting. Bar uh, is an underrated player, I would say. He comes in and he he knows how to talk and throw his hands and yell about things, and uh, that's all you need to succeed in this league, really. Uh, and on the other side of things, Richard, also quite underrated, actually. Uh, in Richard's, Richard's wins, uh, they've been quite dominant, actually. Um, he's, he's very good when uh, he really puts his mind to it. Uh, so I'm excited to see what happens because these are both underrated players that I think uh, both deserve to have win another win on their record. Nick, you are here uh, as well. Thank you for being here. How you doing, buddy? Uh, doing great. Your enunciating is, is on point today. You're like Gary Oldman in that episode of Friends where he just spits on Joey the whole time. Um, <laughs> but it's doing great. Thanks for having me. Can of tuna. Uh, okay, so uh, Brian, you are here as well. Thank you for being here, Brian. And uh, what do you think about this match? I'm, I'm interested to watch this match. I've, I've I've been here for a Richard debate. I have not been here to watch Andrew debate, although um, he has opinions, that's for sure. And uh, I'm I'm anxious to watch him either get all you know up in arms or just third pout. Either way works for me. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, well, uh, we are going to get into the match. We're, we'll bring in our competitors, starting with Mr. Barr. Barr, welcome. Hi. You're here to yell about things. How do you feel? Uh, my voice is sore from something I've recorded just before this, so maybe yelling won't be on the table, but I will definitely talk in circles. Fair. Uh, also, here is uh, Richard. Richard, how do you feel about the matchup? Uh, it's going to be fun. I've known Andrew for a little bit. Good dude. Uh, both love the theater life. Both, you know, been around the theater life. Um, I'm really tired, exhausted, just work from months and months of doing Great Bear Chips at 7-Eleven. But, hey, you know, I'm good. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, let's get into it now. All right, we are going to get right into the match. This is how it's going to work. There are four categories for prep questions based off those categories that the competitors uh, drafted. Uh, then at the end of the question, uh, they will, or at, during the question, they will have a one-minute opening followed by a five-minute free form followed by a one-minute closing. At the end of all that, Brian, Nick, and I will get our handy-dandy boards, write who we think won the point. That's two out of three wins the point. And the first person to three points wins the match. Gentlemen, any questions as we get into it? No. Okay, then the first category we are going to debate this evening uh, is brought to you uh, by Mr. Schwartz. He drafted it. It's in the category of the MCU. The question is, if Marvel had to recast Doctor Strange today, who would you cast in the role? Uh, so, Richard, you drafted this. That means you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Benedict Cumberbatch has made Doctor Strange's role his own. Like, it started off, you know, not many people were sure if he was right for the part, but over time in the other movies, he has firmly 
accepted the role as Doctor Strange. Now, for some unreal reason, if he would ever to be recast, fans would have, I mean, they would have to cast someone that the fans would know. Fans could know they could do the world, the role well and just as good, if not better. And I think if well famous enough for people to draw attention. So let's just go big or go home. I say Leonardo DiCaprio, the next Doctor Strange. This man can do no wrong. He has done multiple genres of film, mystery, sci-fi, comedy. Fans love him. He screamed his way to an Oscar. This man can do no wrong. He's just magic himself. Leonardo DiCaprio, my pick. I think about six seconds early. Magic himself. I like it. Uh, Bar, you now have a minute to open your argument when you start talking. So for someone to play Doctor Strange, they have to have this otherworldly appeal. They have to have this, this presence that makes you believe that they could perform mystical, magical arts if you... Uh, if they needed to. And I present to you Killian Murphy. Uh, Killian Murphy, as many people know, have, has been on Peaky Blinders. He was the Scarecrow in Batman Begins. Um, and he just kind of has this, this ethereal presence to him that somebody who deals in this kind of magical world needs that presence of but not only that killian murphy is a fantastic actor as proven by the things that i've mentioned before also things like dunkirk um and he's just a really really talented person who fits this role better than dicaprio and i yield my time okay uh all right dicaprio murphy five minute freeform when one of you starts talking so dicaprio doesn't kind of have that otherworldly presence to him um he kind of has that like typical hollywood handsome kind of look to him uh like i don't believe him to be like a master of magical arts have you seen the man act it is magical he has done so much range. he has so much range in his films from catch me if you can django unchained wolf of wall street don't look up he has done so many inception done so many so many different types of roles whereas killian murphy he his main roles are usually side characters or villains like he's a he's very he always in his movies comes off very timid and for dr strange someone who has is a he has to have some a certain presence a presence a leadership presence that i don't think killian murphy has whereas leonardo dicaprio has been definitely has that leadership presence uh, so you know who else played side characters? Uh, Chris Pratt, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, they were all kind of like side character-y character actors. Um, and that's what Doctor Strange is. He's a character role. Um, also, I'd like to point out that um, he's not done a... DiCaprio, you've said he's done all of these movies. You know what he hasn't done? A comic book movie. Guess what Killian Murphy's done? He's done a comic book movie. Yeah, a comic book movie that they kind of cheapened that role in every single one of the Nolan trilogies after the first one where it's become very cheapened and side off. Yeah, exactly. You need someone who people are going to know. People who are going to draw seats. Killian Murphy is not going to draw people to come see this movie. Leonardo DiCaprio has. And you talk about... uh, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor, these were characters at first. Of course, they can cast Chris Pratt or Chris Hemsworth because these were roles that a lot of people other than comic book fans didn't know too much about. I mean, I'm a comic book fan. I didn't know 
anything really about the Guardians of the Galaxy to the movie. So it's easier acceptable to bring someone. Plus, they had Batista. They had Zoe Zeldana. They had other people, actors and actresses that were world known in movies and wrestling that people know that they would show up. Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper. These were roles that, yeah, people are going to show up for. No one's going to show up. For Killian Murphy. Yeah, but here's here, here's the thing. First of all, d the fact that um, Batista was in that was a major risk because he had never done a movie before. But well, it was also a risk in itself. You had your time, sir. You had your time, sir. Just because you can draw people in with names doesn't mean that the quality will be good. Look at so many blockbusters that have big names that failed. Assassin's Creed was like that. But DiCaprio, the problem, other problem with DiCaprio is. Caprio tends to play himself. He plays a very similar character in every movie that he does. Killian Murphy is a chameleon. He will fit into whatever roles that you want. Like Inception, the movie you brought up. Um, so, uh, A chameleon doesn't mean he makes his character his own. Leonardo DiCaprio makes his characters his own. You're saying that he plays only himself? Killian Murphy does the same thing. A chameleon? What do you mean a chameleon doesn't make things his own? John C. Riley is a chameleon of an actor who can do comedy and drama and all that stuff. Killian Murphy's the exact same way. Plus, and also, uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, go on. I'll, okay. I'll wait here. So finish. here's the other thing: DiCaprio is a little bit of a control freak, and when it comes to Marvel, you they can't really have someone who wants to have as much control because it needs to be a shared universe. That's why Edward Norton got kicked out. Well, Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. was also a control freak, and they loved him as Iron Man. He was the key figure in Iron Man, a key figure in the MCU, so he done really well. Leonardo DiCaprio has grown with age, has worked well with others. He has improved, not being as much controlled as he used to be. I mean, Kelly Murphy, just like I said, he comes off too timid. You need, I just don't think he's a strong, he's a good actor, don't get me wrong. He is a very good actor. He just doesn't come, I don't think fans are going to seriously jump to go see Killian Murphy, where fans will come to see Leonardo DiCaprio. And you say Leonardo DiCaprio has the whole zone. He's a fucking Oscar award-winning nom winner. Not nominee. He's multiple nominees, but he won an Oscar. Has Killian Murphy won an Oscar for any role? That doesn't matter when other people like Chris Evans hasn't. Uh, RDJ, who you brought up, has not won an Oscar. Also, Rob Downey Jr. Had to, be, had to propel himself back in. So he had to behave himself in order to do that. And they built the MCU around his movie. So he had that say, whereas DiCaprio is going to need more say in it. And he just can't get that. Whereas well, 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 where do fighter. you get that information that he needs to have more say? Where, where, where is that, that coming from? From yeah. previous movies that he's worked on, other people that have worked with him. Not saying that he's a bad guy, he just needs more control. Just look up with that kind of like that. Mm. Okay, uh, Bar, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. So Killian Murphy has this otherworldly presence to him. Like, he is a guy that can slip into multiple roles and you can believe him in anything. Plus, he also kind of has that mystical, magical look to him with the cheekbones and the eyes and all that. Whereas DiCaprio's kind of, as I said, stereotypical handsome boy. And just because DiCaprio's a bigger name doesn't mean he's going to give the best performance. We've seen big names in other things and they haven't done well. Um, Killian Murphy has shown incredible range. He's a team player. And just because, and as I said, we have seen other movies get lifted on their shoulders, Marvel movies specifically, by people who are not that well known. Killian Murphy is a breakout star, and he's done comic book movies before, 
He's a hell of an actor. He will nail this role. Okay. Thank you, All right. Uh, we'll bring in Richard. Richard, you now have one minute to close your argument. Leonardo DiCaprio works hard, probably more than anyone else in the acting industry. He puts his heart and soul in every movie he's done. I don't think he's ever had done a, a bad performance. In might have been in movies that were not as good as others, but his performances have always been fantastic. Killian Murphy, he's good. I wouldn't say great. He's good, but he doesn't have that presence where it's going to draw people to the audience. And he, my opponent says that just because a bigger name doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it kind of does when it comes to someone who has to replace Benton Cumberbatch, who's made that role his own. And I think Leonardo DiCaprio has proven time and time again he has been able to adapt not only to a role, but to excel at it. Killian Murphy has done comic book roles. And, you know, and his character role that he's done was cheapened throughout every movie. Leonardo DiCaprio is a breakout Oscar award winner. He does his thing well. Fantastic. He's magic himself. He will just do what others can't, especially against Killian Murphy. Time. All right. Bring in them judges. How we doing, judges? Um, I just want to say that before Benedict was ever even cast, I always said Pierce Brosnan should have been Doctor Strange. Just saying. He's Doctor Fate now. It's true. Um, okay, uh, we're good, everybody. Yes, we sure. look Okay, I'm gonna go first. I went with Bar. Um, I thought Bar's takedown of the whole Oscar thing was because uh, Richard kept bringing up the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio is like an Oscar winner. I thought bars like takedown of like there have been like people with like big like award stuff before that hasn't worked that shouldn't be uh shouldn't be something. Um, I, I thought this overall devolved into like who is the better like worker like <laughs> who is better at like being a team player and will work with Marvel. Uh, overall, uh, I thought though that bars uh pitch of like. Killian Murphy being a character actor, being able to go in, and there's been lots of other MCU uh, lead actors or actresses that weren't well known, um, and that Killian Murphy could do the same thing. So I go with Bar. Nick, uh, where are you leaning? You're doing the Cody thing where you look like you're disagreeing with me. No, you. No, no, no. Um, well, yes, because I picked the other person that you did. <laughs> okay, um, fair. But uh, no, I wasn't like disagreeing with you. Say, uh, no. Uh, it was very close for me. Uh, there was a lot of things that I think were said by both people that didn't really matter, I think, to to the argument at hand. Uh, I think pe both people got hung up on, on things that I don't really think overall affected it. I, just, I think the point that hit me most was um, uh, Richard's thing about Killian Murphy not necessarily being a person with the presence that a Doctor Strange needs. Um, and how Leo has been a chameleon, even though, like, you know, it's Leo, like, he plays a bunch of different roles, like, he can he can fit that sort of thing. So that's why I went with Richard. All right. Uh, Brian, you get to decide this one. Um, I kind of agree. Well, neither argument I thought was especially convincing because, uh, like Nick said, there was a whole lot of talk about things that didn't matter. It devolved into a whole lot of, you know, what the history of what these actors had or hadn't done, and then, oh, well, what these other actors had or hadn't done before this had nothing, and not a whole lot of why they would be good for this role, or else they talk about why they were a good draw for people and not why they would be good for the role itself. 
Um, so it's kind of a toss up for me. Uh, what I finally decided to sway my argument was um, uh, where uh, Andrew kind of talked about how Gillian uh, Murphy, he could, you know, fit into the universe very well, whereas Leonardo DiCaprio is not, he said he wasn't a team player, but kind of the way he, his movies are mostly about him. He's kind of a f- control freak, those kind of things. So I ended up giving it to more. All right. So Bar wins the first point. Uh, we're going to move on to the next question, which is going to be in the category of actors and actresses. The question is, which Audrey Hepburn movie has the worst plot? Uh, so we are going to start with Bar. We drafted this. Bar, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. This was a tough one because a lot of Audrey Hepburn's plots are very simple, um, but they're told really well. Uh, However, Laughter in Paradise is uh, an overcomplicated plot. Uh, So many things going on and none of them land. Um, And the overall theme of the movie gets wiped out the window at the end. Uh, so it's a ba- basically this guy dies. He was a rich man known for pranking people. Um, how that made him rich, I don't know. Uh, and so he left four people in his will, and for each of them, he has instructed them to do something in order to get their share of the money. If they don't do it by a specific date, they don't get the money. One of them has to rob a bank. One of them has to work as a maid. One of them has to... Uh, marry the first girl he talks to, and the other one has to commit a crime and go to prison for 28 days. Yeah, that's a lot, and it's kind of stupid. Time. All right, uh, we'll move over to Richard. Richard, you have one minute when you start talking. The movie I chose was Two for the Road. It Audrey Hepburn is one of the leads. Um, it's about a couple, a married couple, who go into France to celebrate a project that the husband has done uh they have flashbacks of when you know they first met uh their marriage is stale and boring uh they both cheat on each other they both kind of break up get back together leave france and italy yeah that's about the message of this film it's a terrible plot worst audrey movie that's plot wise I can see the rest of my time. Okay. Five minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Dude, your plot sounds fascinating as hell. Like the writing may be bad, but the plot itself is super freaking interesting. Uh, four people have to do a task from a, a dead man who has a task that they're not, you know, un- they're very uncomfortable to do. It's sounds like a very cool, exciting, like heist type of movie. And- it's not a heist, though. That's the thing. Also, just because it sounds interesting doesn't mean that it actually is interesting. But that's Whereas, the... Oh, sorry. Go on. You, uh, no, that's my bad. No, 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 no. It's not what plot sounds the least interesting. It is what plot is the worst. And honestly, this is just terrible. Like, you, nothing happens for most of them. Uh, and at the end, it all gets thrown out the window when they all find out that there is no money. Like, it was a complete waste of a movie. But things that happened in your movie were very exciting. Uh, the guy who tried to rob a bank ended up being a hero to stop some other robber, bank robbers 
which was funny. Um, person who was supposed to work, uh, the woman who's supposed to, you know, work and, you know, for like a month, uh, she met this person. It was great. A uh, guy who's trying to, you know, rob, like, you know, commit a crime, had, you know, lost his wife, but found another love interest. Mine is basically they were together. They broke up. They kind of got back together, left France, and it was a bunch of flashbacks and nothing really happened. So yours is not flashbacks. It's non-canonical. Uh, it's a broken timeline, sort of like Quentin Tarantino does a lot of, and those are bookends. Um, but just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's bad. It's about a relationship. It's about the life of a relationship from the beginning to the end, told in a way that's non-linear. And that's um, really way more boring than your film, which it sounds like a lot of fun. It's like a rat race and rat race was a lot of fun. It was an interesting plot. And I'm bringing my rat race from the nineties, you know, that one, cause I haven't seen the original rat race, but if you can't but, pull off that plot, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you could go, if we're not talking about the, the bad writing, we're talking about the plot itself. The plot is way more interesting than just a couple together breaking up. I mean, that, there have been, it's like a, right. a worse, worse, Whatever the Adam Driver Scarlett Johansson movie, it's a worse version of that. Oh but no! The difference is, well, what's that movie called? By the way, sorry, I know it has not my movie. No, no, no. Or the Adam Driver, the Scarlett Johansson movie. Well, if you can't remember what that movie is, then the, you're not really comparing the two. They're not that similar. If this is your argument, but with my movie, one of them has to marry the first person, first girl that he talks to, and you know what? He talks to someone, then he talks to someone else and has to marry her. So they're breaking their own rules of the movie. And that sounds way more interesting than a couple getting together, breaking up, going back, leaving France. What makes your movie less plot-wise worse than my movie for plot-wise? Repeat that for me, please. I lost well, you. Why is your plot worse than mine? My plot is worse than yours because it breaks its own rules. It overcomplicates itself in order to get things in short amount of time where they can't cover everything that they're trying to shove in there. Like a pointless romance that comes out of nowhere, goes nowhere, and does nothing. You want to talk about pointless romance? Uh, both of my characters cheat on each other and that ended up being nothing. And uh, again, that's to your, you're saying your problem with your plot. That's not the problem with your plot. It's just the problem with the writing. Most people who saw this movie have commented the reason why my movie failed was because there was a lack of plot or no plot at all. Sure. And you're saying your movie is just bad writing, but your the plot itself sounds super interesting. It's like it's like Rat Race, like it's like a heist movie. It's like a really cool, especially during that time in the fifties. I believe it came out in the fifties. Am I not mistaken? Yes. Yeah, it, that's really like ahead of its time in a sense it's like a clever version of how he steal a million but at the end it probably... I, no, I mean i love the movie not really the, the the marx brothers kind of did that thing a lot um especially with the kind of comedy they were trying to do it works with the marx brothers doesn't work for this but let's talk about that bank robbery um the dude does nothing like even it it, it meanders and it drags until crazy random happenstance and it's not even like played out like they don't show you like everything leading up to it it just kind of happens that's the movie things happen rules get broken and then at the end it all means nothing my movie has a person 
Time. Breaking up, getting back together. Getting back together. Strike it from the record. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Richard, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. My opponent's movie, Laughter in Paradise, may have bad writing, may even have bad acting. Who knows? But the plot itself about a a, a person who died, who ha- who's going to leave his money to, to four family members, and they have to do these weird tasks that they are uncomfortable doing, or they don't get the money at all, is a far better movie plot than my movie, where it's just about a relationship, getting together, breaking up, getting back again with... And he, my opponent says it's like you know, a noir, you know, like Quentin Tarantino. You're giving Quint, you're giving this movie a way far, way too much more credit. It was very boring, plain. It's the worst for movie of the marriage proposal or the breakup. Even the breakup had better plot than this film. Laughter in Paradise may have bad writing, but the plot is far more interesting than what mine is. There's at least something going on. Heist-wise, comedy-wise, mine is just a, a pointless relationship. All right, Bar, you now get to close your argument. One minute when you start talking. It's not most interesting plot; it's worst plot, and mine has the worst plot. Two for the Road is a beautiful, heartbreaking tale of the lifespan of a couple having these ups and downs, and even when they're down at the end. They stay together because they know that they need each other and that their spirits are entwined. Just because it's told non-linearly, like Pulp Fiction, doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just a different way to tell the story. Mine breaks its own rules. It drags on. And at the end, nothing is achieved. It does nothing. This movie is about nothing. And I yield my time. Okay. I do appreciate you, Andrew, for, like me, giving up their time when they don't need it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't need it. Like, why, why? <laughs> Are we all ready? Yeah. All right, Brian, you get to start. All right. So I have seen Two for the Road. I have not seen Laughter in Paradise. I know, I know, uh, uh, Andrew kind of took a chance, like going digging deep into something Audrey's kind of barely in, but it counts. Um, I will say the disadvantage there, though, is I'm going purely by what I'm hearing here. Um, and even from Barr's initial introduction of the movie, his movie sounded way better to me. Um, I, I honestly I went with Richard because I think that as far as, as for the discussion, it, it how they explain the plots to me, um, I think that. Laughter in Paradise sounded like the better movie uh, plot-wise. I think that, uh, like Richard said, it may not be about the execution, the acting, the writing may not have been there. But as far as the plot and what I'm hearing of what the plot was, Laughter in Paradise sounded better to me. <laughs> I also went with Richard. I thought exactly for the same reason of Brian. Richard just sitting there going, your movie sounds way more interesting than... Two people get together, break it up. Just like the way Richard was delivering it killed me. But also, I, I agree with Brian just that Richard painted it very clear that, like, we're not talking about how the film was eventually executed. We're talking about the plot of the movie. And based on the plots, 
Barr's plot actually sounds like it has something, and the other one did did not. So, uh, Bar or Richard gets the point. Nick, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why? I was feeling the same way, like in in terms of like Richard bashing, like it's not the performance, it's not it's not all that. But the plot includes the whole plot, uh, and Bar explaining like how it may sound like a good plot at the beginning, and then it leads to nowhere. It was very more in depth. I could tell one of these people knew both these movies better than the other. So I won't buy. Fair enough. Okay, uh, so it is one apiece. We're going to get into the next question, which was drafted by Richard in the category of horror. Uh, the question is: What is the best trap in a Saw film? Richard, you get to go first. You have one minute when you start talking. I chose the rack trap from Saw 3. Um, this device it, it ties to uh, Tim's uh, ar- Tim's arms, both his arms, his legs, and his neck. And it slowly rotates each arm and leg one at a time, one body part at a time, till it fully goes around. And eventually it was his neck. Now, the goal of this was for Saw Jigsaw to test Jeff, who was in the other room. Tim, who was strapped to the device was a drunk driver who killed his child while driving, being intoxicated. And he didn't, he got jail time, but not enough to, uh, he got out early and Jeff wanted revenge. He was planning to kill him. And the only way to save Tim was for uh, Jeff to get the key, basically to forgive him. And I think one of the best things about a soft trap is will a person in this test learn their lesson, become a better person. And eventually at the end, even though he was too late, Jeff did forgive Tim for the death of his child. I concede the rest of my time. Perfect. All right. Bar, we move over to you. One minute when you start talking. There's a reason that the reverse bear trap is the trap that everyone knows outside of this franchise, even if they haven't seen it. It is very unique. It is very deadly. And honestly, it worked. It worked in Jigsaw's favor. Um, I will break this down a little bit more. But other than the fact that it's just a real cool trap, I've got, I will go more in depth uh, in the second part of this. So I yield my time. Okay. Um, bear trap, rack trap, five minute freeform. When one of you starts talking, Andrew, you can go first. Sure. Um, so the reverse bear trap, I, honestly, it's just such a unique design that. It, it's just uh, an awe-inspiring creation that's horrifying to watch um, because the lethality of it, plus the co- how complicated it actually is to escape from, makes this such a better trap. Um, the rack trap is also very unique. Um, and also it's very painful. I would say even more painful than the reverse pair trap because if it did, if, if, if it failed, if she, Amanda would have died, it would have been instant. Like she wouldn't have felt the thing. Whereas the rack trap does it one at a time. And he felt every single bone breaking. You hear that scream, you hear that the pain. And then even Jeff who was there, who was, was, you know, enjoying it at first, but then re- realized like this is not right this man does not deserve to die and he went to go get the key and he was too late unfortunately but he he eventually forgave him which was the main message for jigsaw the main test for jigsaw was forgiveness and I'll let you go sorry yeah so i'm glad you brought up amanda because uh she did escape 
Um, but later on in the franchise, we learned that uh, Amanda has joined Jigsaw's side. Uh, so the trap worked for Jigsaw. It is more effective than the rack. And I want to point out something. You said that yours is unique. I would like to bring up the medieval torture creation, also called the rack, which also does the exact same thing. So uniqueness is dead for your. It argument. does not do the exact same thing. They it just it, 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 it no, it doesn't twist. It just pulls. It does not twist. It pulls. This literally twists. And you're saying yours worked? No, it didn't work. Amanda, first of all, was a junkie. She would have killed multiple children just to get out of that thing. She was a junkie to begin with. And eventually, in the third Saw movie, she ends up cutting herself again. Like So in, in that sense, the reverse pair trap failed because she did not learn her lesson to ha not harm herself. And she eventually kills Jeff's wife, which initially causes her own death when Jeff shoots her because he saw... He saw Amanda kill his wife, and he had to kill her. So, so your, your, yours did not even work in so, the long run. So there is a variation of the medieval torture uh, trap called the rack, which does twist the arms. There was two versions. There was the arm. There was the limb twist version and the pole version. I'm so, sure there's a trap like the reverse bear trap in other horror movies. I just have not seen. I'm not bringing this up horror movies. I'm bringing up actual reality, things that actually happened in real life. So uniqueness for yours dead no one's ever seen a reverse bear trap and now amanda when it comes to that yes it did work because you you bring up the two choices that they have to make she does later on down the line make a choice even though she escaped that trap it actually triggered like a reaction in her leading to up to that part now with the rack it's kind of boring I mean, it's I, like a it's a, it's a it's a home alone pull the string something happens thing, and it cheats itself actually. It's rigged against it because the moment you release the key from there, it's gonna release the gun anyway. Doesn't well, matter. How well, you know, do th it. there 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 is no no there is no proof that this was going to thing because this jigsaw it was made jigsaw made it himself. Manda from the other chaps in that other movie, she did their own. It was her own making. And but just because just because Jigsaw made it doesn't mean that Jigsaw can't cheat. And I will say the, another knock movie. on the reverse bear trap, you really couldn't see the fear in Amanda's face when she had it on. You could barely see it. Whereas the rack trap, you saw the fear, you saw the pain that he went... And no, no, you, you didn't. All you saw her do was trying to shake her head, trying to get it off. And she, again, she was a junkie. She would have killed someone anyway in any type of trap. It doesn't mean it's unique. You can't see the fear in her? My God, bro, they zoom in on her eyes, which tell you so much. And her just writhing around. Oh my God, are you kidding me? That's not because she's happy to have that thing on. But ultimately, I think what makes my trap the more effective trap is Jeff ultimately forgave Tim, which was a, the, the whole part of that test. He passed the test. It was a more effective Amanda got out of it, yes. He took a life. The whole point of these traps is to value life. She she killed another person just to get that off, and that's not passing anything. And she, again, she ends up being psycho in the third film, which ultimately your trap failed in effectiveness. And whereas Jeff, even though he died in the, I think it was the fifth film, it wasn't his fault. Oh, so he still died. Um, uh, Bar. You get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. 
So the reverse bear trap did its job multiple times, actually. In later films, it actually does kill someone. And then the first film, guess what? It worked in Jigsaw's favor. So it is the more effective trap. Whereas with the rack trap, first of all, it's not original. Second of all, it cheats. It cheats its players by making it still release the shotgun even when the key is removed. So that in itself does not make it an effective trap as much as it is just a cheat. So mine's the more effective trap, mine's the more creative trap, mine's the more interesting trap. And I yield my time. Okay, Richard, one minute when you start talking. My opponent keeps bringing up the key with a shotgun. It was not pointed at either Tim or Jeff, so it's not like it would have done anything. It's There's no proof that it was actually rigged if he would have taken it out. Mine is the best trap because, one, it's the most painful trap, which is the thing that brings uh, fans to watch these Saw movies is the torture of it. And it's way more torturable than the reverse bear trap, which looks scary, but the person, if they fail, would instantly die. Amanda, yeah, she got it off, but she ends up being psycho, which is ultimately what causes her to die in Saw 3, which is the failure of the trap, because the trap is meant to value life. And Jeff, if he had multiple tests, I'm just talking about this test, but he valued life. He forgave the man who killed his son. That To, to forgive someone who killed your own child, it, it's the best trap. That, it's a trap that, if you're a parent, you it's, don't think you can forgive someone that's as easy as that. Time. Sorry, Maggie's fucking laughing her ass off about something over here. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Not about you guys. She's watching TikTok, I think. Yeah, you're watching TikTok. Okay, get it. Okay. Uh, okay. Nick, you get to lead this one off. You ready to go? Hooray. Yeah, is everyone? Yeah. All right, cool. Um, I, I hate Saw. Not a fan. Scary. Gross. <laughs> Um, that being said, uh, I think Andrew Barr said a lot of interesting things about, uh, the one trap cheating, uh, other things being similar to it and how, like, the only slight variations on, on the similar ones were like, it twists instead of pull, like, it still sounds very similar to me. Uh, and Barr mentioned the iconic nature of his, uh, again, I'm not a Saw fan, so I don't know how important it is that the character learned a lesson from it. Um, it didn't sound overly important to me, uh, and the fact that both of the characters wound up dying later anyway sort of negated that, so that's why I gave it to Bar. Uh, Brian. Yeah, so you go into a Saw movie knowing what you're going in for. Um, you, you watch a Saw movie for a certain thing. I mean, that Saw and Hostel together kind of created the torture porn genre. Uh, so people start talking about, you know, the which ones had the most effect on the people and which ones are most effective traps, things like that. For both sides, so for me, that went out the window. Um, I think what won it for me um, was uh, Richard uh, when he basically was talking about how uh, in his trap, you know, you're feeling each break, you're feeling the pain, you're feeling the torture until it finally kills him. Whereas you know, with Andrews, it would just be like instant done, um, which, you know, for people going to watch a Saw movie, you're there to watch him suffer. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of this franchise. Uh, I'm glad somebody picked it because I got to write a question about it. Um, I, yeah, I, I weirdly love this franchise very much. Uh, and so 
I guess it's me and Brian against Nick today. I said, may the Schwartz be with you. Um, I went with Richard mostly. Uh, there is a lot to do with like the saving a life, uh, appreciating life stuff. And I thought Richard hit the, the uh, notes of like what the traps mean and what they do and how um, Barr said like the, his trap worked. I thought uh, Richard very effectively proved why it in fact did not uh so in the long run of the franchise so and i also agree with brian that um while i while i agree with nick that i liked the point that Barr said about his trap being iconic because arguably it is the most iconic in the franchise i thought richard did a really good job of leaning into the um what people go to these movies for and the the high that the the rack trap is in my opinion as well the most disturbing trap in the whole series uh so that hit really uh hard for me so give it to richard richard's up two to one as we get into the uh final prep question uh bar needs to hit this to send it to overtime if he misses it uh richard will be the winner and the question uh is in the category of jimmy b my favorite james bond uh the question is what is the funniest one-liner from a James Bond movie? Uh, so, uh, Bar, you drafted this. You get to go first. You have one minute when you start talking. She always she always did enjoy a good squeeze. That was just I, – I was laughing my ass off when I heard that line in GoldenEye. Look, Pierce Brosnan delivers that line so perfectly. The timing, the cadence, and just – the build up to that joke is also perfect. Um, just the way that she dies combined with that line combined with like her manic energy versus his calm is such a great hysterical contrast that there's no other line in the franchise that has topped this one before or after. Uh, and with that, I yield my time. Okay. Richard, you now have one minute when you start talking. This is really hard for me because I'm not a huge Bond fan. Haven't seen many films. So I chose a, a line, a one-liner line from the movie Thunderball. Uh, Sean Connery is Bond in this. He is escaping people who are trying to kill him into a club. A woman who's trying to have Bond dead, captured, uh, starts dancing with Bond. Um, bodyguards, her bodyguards were about to shoot him. He turns, the bullet shoots the lady, kills her. So what does Sean Connery do? Grabs the dead woman, puts her in a table next to the, these random random couple, and what's his line? Mind of my friend, mind if my friend just sits this one out, she's too dead. And that made me chuckle. Because he just quietly walked away with no regard. It was just a perfect, perfect way he said it, perfect way he left it, and I think it's the funniest one liner. And I can see the rest of my time. Okay. Uh, why did I take you out? That doesn't make sense. Okay, uh, you guys have... <laughs> when one of you starts talking, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> um, I, it's been a while since I've seen GoldenEye. You know, like I said, I'm not a huge James Bond fan. I, I watched that scene quite a few times. Um, it, it, I wouldn't say it was funny. Because for me, me being dumb, like the way she died, the helicopter... Uh, you know, not squeezing, but like kind of like pressing her against the tree. Um, I was more like, I was more like confused the way why that helicopter was like the way it was moving. 
not really focusing on that line because like came off like okay so because you watch the scene out of context means that it doesn't work okay um so i've seen the movie i know like she's the russian right but the the helicopter gets like damaged and that's what leads to but also she kills people by wrapping their her legs around them and just like suffocating them to death uh so to have that contrast between how she kills people versus how she's killed, it's just like this hilarious irony. Um, plus, as I said, Bresnan's delivery of it is just pitch perfect. There's a slight cocky smile to it, and he's so sure of himself, which makes it a lot funnier. Whereas yours is just like an old dad joke that's been told since maybe the 40s. Really? Because I haven't heard anyone say, like, uh, she's just too dead. But I, I'm going to say what yours like. Yours just seems too on the nose, and you might find it funny. I just feel like people would probably saw it coming, would kind of guess that line, and not be as funny as okay, we kind of saw that coming. Whereas mine, like he told the truth to an unsuspecting couple, and he just the way he delivered it and the way he just left afterwards is just freaking hysterical. Just the looks on that couple's faces just after he leaves is just it's priceless. It's so it's you- hysterical. So, uh, this, as I said, this joke has been done for years. Commando does this joke better. Um, and with, uh, with the, him on the plane going, my friend, he's just did. Plus, you also misquoted yours. It's, uh, mind if my friend's this one now? She's just dead. So, you don't even remember your own quote correctly. When, well, I said she's just dead. Or what no, did I say? Too dead? too dead? She's just dead. It's fine. I Like, again, you can't hit on me for not being a huge Bond fan. That's not a hit on me. That's just me misquoting half the time. And like yours, again, your quote sounds too on the nose. It's like Mr. Freeze and Batman and Robin. Just chill. I think yours has done when they just done too much gimmicks, too much lines that fit the gimmick. It's way too on the nose. Mine was clever. Think, be- you don't think yours is on the nose? You no. just You just pointed out the fact that she is dead. That's yeah, but on the, the difference, nose. The difference between my on the nose and your on the nose is the couple does not know what's going on, does not know she's actually dead. So that, it says, when you have people who are unsuspecting to what's happening, yeah, it makes the scene funnier, whereas yours is with, I believe, Natalia? That's correct? The the other person with him? Yes. I mean, they both saw what happened. And, I mean, even she was more in shock. Like, And honestly, I don't think Pierce Bronson delivered it too great. Sean Connery delivered that line way better than Pierce Bronson did. Really? Sean Connery kind of rushed through his. Um, but also, I would like to say something. Um, can you repeat your your quote for me, please? Mine my, my, of my friend just this one out. She's too dead. No, question. she's just dead. Sorry. Uh, question mark. Uh, first of all, that's two lines. Uh, that's not a one-liner. So, um, whereas mine, the buildup is great because you have this great comedic dynamic between this manic kind of crazy assassin and calm cool bond and once he gets the edge over her he starts to have this kind of like this fun with it for, for, first of all we're not worrying about what's one or two liner you got a, you your audrey hepburn film wasn't even an audrey hepburn film she was in the she scene the for two scene it, if mine gets accepted if your gets accepted leave it on that's not a point if it's a two liner i'm just pointing it out so your movie for audrey hepburn didn't even feature her it wasn't her movie she was, she was in two in scenes. She's featured. Yeah, so d- d- that that means nothing when it comes to the okay. argument. And I, like I say, yours wasn't even that funny. It was just two on the nose, and a lot of people probably saw it coming. And you, 
Should we do like good squeeze? Yeah, that joke, that line has been played out too in other movies and other things. It's an old dad joke too. Name so don't name don't talk about dad jokes. Name a movie. Name a movie that that line was also used in. Name a movie that, where that, mine that, was used I, in. I, name I a movie just that said Commando. Commando. I've never seen that movie, so how am I supposed to know? Well, you and I haven't seen Commando. many movies. She always like a good squeeze because I know there has been TV shows and movies that have used a very similar line. Well, until you point out uh, one of those, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna believe you. Again, I think mine was way more funnier because you know, unsuspecting moment for a person who didn't know what's going on, whereas yours is too on the nose. Richard, you get to close first. You got a minute when you start talking. My opponent is saying, like, first of all, I misquote my thing. Sure, why not? I'm not a huge Bond guy. I'm going. To, I like to miss. I miss quotes all the time. Doesn't make it any less funny. Um, his is, like I said, it was too on the nose. He talked about that character liking to squeeze people. It comes off very cringy, like the Mister Freeze chill, or just anyone who likes to use puns. Whereas mine, mine of my friend just this one out. She's just dead. The way he delivered it was classic for two people who did not know what was going on. He just, if you watch that and you saw how he delivered that line, it is way funnier than the way Pierce Bronson delivered it. It came off just very blah. I don't think Pierce Bronson delivered it well. Just because uh, my opponent can name a movie that probably has a similar line. I, I, it's not the exact line. Cool. Why not? But mine is still way funnier than his. I can see it the rest of my time. All right. Uh, we will go to Bar. Bar, one minute when you start talking. So she's not, uh, she's just dead. It's not a pun. I think that there's something wrong with that personally. Um, but the thing that makes mine funnier is Pierce Brosnan's delivery and the joy that he has. He's do kind of make these kind of jokes, but he plays it so deadpan. And to see this kind of like, enjoyment of him being able to say that actually brings a lot of extra humor to it as well as the context and the build-up to it um but also just like mind if my friend sits on out she's just dead i've heard this before it's an old vaudevillian joke actually from the 20s if i'm not mistaken other movies connery's rushing through that line so you don't really catch it the first time and I also have someone in my scene who doesn't realize what's going on technically. So, null and void. I yield my time. Okay. Uh, let me bring in the judges. Is it my connection? It was Bar freezing up during the closing. Yeah, it was my. He was freezing up. It was Bar. Oh, shit. It, 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 it doesn't affect my vote. I was just curious. Yeah, no, I, I got what he was saying from it. I thought it was my connection too. I was like, crap. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. How are we doing, judges? All right. All right. I think I go first on this one. And uh, I thought this was bad. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I thought this was a rough fight. Uh, I thought they've all been pretty good so far. This one was a little rough. Um, there were so many semantics. <clears throat> like, Barr trying to, like, bring down because it was two sentences versus a lot like get the fuck out of here uh but also like but then richard was like name a movie and then Ibar did so it's like there's <laughs> just some bullshit don't tell me an as you roll to me i honestly 
flip a coin, but at the end of the day, what I what I latched onto was Richard leaned more to me in about why his was funny and how it made him laugh. Uh, and like how it was just like a very like bond thing and the way Conry delivered it was great. Um, and so I went with Richard, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, Nick. Um, I had a joke thing I was going to say, but I think I'll say a real thing. Um, I agree that I think Richard touched more on the funny of it. Barr may have been able to quote another movie where someone jokes about someone else being dead, but then Richard at the end was like, who cares? It's not the same line. I'm sure it's been used before. Um, he hit on how um, Barr's was a little cheesier in like a in an obvious way, I guess. Like, oh, she squeezes people. Get it? Like, you know what I mean? Um, so at the end of the day, the joke thing I was going to say that was the second bar was like, well, that's two sentences. I stopped listening, but I didn't actually stop listening. I kept listening, but then I voted for Richard. All right, uh, Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why? I thought this was the most decisive of all the matches, and I gave it to Barr. Um, for me, I thought that, uh, well, for starters, what, when Richard misquoted his own quote in the opening, I was going to let that go because that's not a factor. But then when Barr picks up on it and says it's so not memorable, even you can't remember it, I mean, that was a good point to me. Um, I also like the way you talked about how it was you know, the contrast and the irony of the scene in the, in the way that uh, Rosin delivered it. Um, yeah, so I, I thought Barr had it easily, but apparently I'm in the minority. So. Yep. All right. Well, that means your winner, Richard Schwartz, uh, will be moving on. Uh, we're going to first talk to Barr. Barr, uh, you didn't pull out this one, uh, but you played very well. It's a lot of split decisions in this match. Were all of them split decisions? Yes. Damn. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of wild. Uh, I That hasn't happened in a long time. So, Barr, how are you feeling? I'm not going to lie. I'm a little disappointed. Um, I knew I was going to lose the salt one. That one I was like, I don't care. Like That one I'm totally going to lose. Uh, Richard's a very good player. I'm not going to take anything away from him. Um, I'm just a little disappointed is all. It's fair. We've all been there. I understand. Uh, but if it's any consolation, you played very, very well. Um, I'm excited to have you back. If you, uh, if you come back, if you want to come back, we'll have you back. And I'm excited uh, to see what you do next. Cause I do think you are very good at this. Um, but thank you for being here today, Mr. Barr. Uh, great job. Let's move over to the winner. Richard, Richard, you won the match. Uh, you won uh, both points uh, that were not um, yours. You won both of uh, Barr's questions. How do you feel? Um, I feel good. I like winning. But at the same time, like, I, I, I kind of, I was hoping to get the Audrey Hepburn because that was the one I felt more confident in as for um, Andrew's uh you know questions and uh, if i'm going to be completely honest i thought bar had that that last one in my opinion but you know i'm not going to say nothing because i want to win a lot of people keep it shh but again andrew's a hell of a fighter and uh i would love to fight him again hopefully he would pick other questions that would be more nice to me and i would be pick him more topics more nice to him <laughs> but it was a good match i look forward to my next one 
And um, hopefully for my next match, whatever that is, I will be more prepared and more rested. Because right. like I said, I always have trouble with words, the way I deliver it. But this was the, the one match I felt least prepared out of all the matches I've ever done. And but next next match, I won't be that less prepared. All right. Sounds good. Well, Richard, congrats. We'll see you very soon with your next match. That's going to do it for us today at Fan Zone Debate. I want to thank Nick and Brian for helping out with this one by judging. Thank you to Bard. Thank you to Richard for uh, playing and uh, making a great match out of this one. So we will see you real soon with the next match. Until then, have a good one. That's my bad, I was sending a tweet.